Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Las Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvind. And today I am joined by Yash Thakur to talk about Real Madrid Femenino's 3-1 victory over Levante in the Copa de la Reina quarterfinals. I'm back. Unfortunately, Grant is off the podcast this time. Just really, really busy today. I'm not necessarily feeling the best. I got COVID. Luckily, I look to be on the uh, seem to be on the upside of that, so I'm good enough to do it today. But I think Yash will be the main man on the podcast. How are you doing? It seems like you're becoming a regular on. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. And yeah, let's let's break down the game, and hopefully, uh, you feel better soon. Yeah, just uh, first off, let's get this out of the way. I mean, a real good piece of news, Real Madrid Femenino B, Real Madrid Castilla finished first in Group 5 of the Primera Nacional League, which is the currently the third division in Spain. So they'll be promoted. In fact, they had secured promotion a while ago, but they secured first place today. The match went on at about the same time, I think, as the senior team's game. And it was uh, a 5-1 victory over Pozuelo and it was a 5-1 victory Ariana Arias starred getting an assist getting two goals and it seems like it's been a really great season for them obviously I have not had the time and energy to follow them but I, I don't know if Yash has something to say about particular standouts in the side or, or, or whatnot but it's just worth mentioning that even though they have topped the current third division and will be promoted. There's a new league being created in between the Primera Nacional and Reto Iberdrola, Reto Iberdrola being the second division. So a new third division is being created that Real Madrid Femenino will progress to, and it will essentially thin out Reto Iberdrola. Like there was Reto Iberdrola North and Reto Iberdrola South, and it was just a bit weird and messy. And I think my understanding is now there will just be like one table for the second division. They're splitting it up, and so Real Madrid Femenino will progress into I guess the new third division for next season yeah I don't know if you you had anything you wanted to say about it yeah I mean first of all congratulations to the girls like they have been performing really well 
so winning the trophy is just the icing on the cake uh, i haven't been able to like watch every single game that was broadcasted because the timings of the games usually coincided with something else but i have been able to watch a couple of games and i i like follow the scores and stuff like that regular updates so i mean in terms of the standouts i would say ariana arias like obviously everyone knows about her because last season she got a few opportunities with the first team as well and everyone knows about her goal scoring record it's absolutely bonkers uh, but in the b team we also have carla camacho who this season she got uh, some opportunities with the first team and has been killing it with the spanish youth national teams as well we have got uh, paula partido who is also another great forward for us there are actually a really good uh, attacking players in the in the team uh, at the moment like carla camacho seems to have a really bright future given how her season has gone this year ariana arias has been touted another one to keep an eye on paula partido is another one and i think in in uh, among the defenders and other players i think bicho is the one that uh, a lot of people talk about and uh, our goalkeeper is also pretty good so i think it's it's a solid team and uh, looking at the way they earn promotion and the way they the score lines are usually they dominate the games they score a lot of goals and usually these players are involved carla camacho paula partido and ariana arias so it's it's real nice i think carla camacho was the real standout this season in terms of the sheer volume of goals she's uh, she scored so yeah i mean i'm really happy for them and hopefully they can continue to just perform like this and be in the top bracket of whatever division they play in next yeah really good signs it's good to see that we have a strong youth setup i i mean cd tacon it was kind of what they were known for when we went and bought them and we just kind of incorporated their youth setup straight into ours and it seems to be having its benefits already so that's fantastic to see on to the game for the senior team I don't think the lineup was all that surprising. It was a game that we had to take seriously, but at the same time, maybe there would be a little rotations here and there. So it was Misa on goal. It was a back four of Sveva, Ivana Andres, Bob's, Lucio Rodriguez, and a double pivot of Teresa Vieira and Claudia Zornoza. And then Olga on the left wing and something that's becoming all too common, Maite Rose on the right wing. And then it was Kosovari Aslani and Esther Gonzalez up top, uh, alternating positions, dropping off and, and being in the in the front line of the attack as they kind of normally do. I'm guessing, Yash, you don't have necessarily that much to say about that. I, I, maybe, I guess, from, from Maite playing on the right. Yeah, I mean, now uh, I, I'm just used to it. Like, whenever I see the lineup, I just assume she's playing on the right <laughs> now uh, but yeah we will talk about her performance this game it was uh, i feel it was better because she did some things that she didn't do before uh, so yeah we'll we'll talk about it but no real complaints about the lineup it was uh, a pretty good lineup it seemed like there always has to be something with maite with asnar it was he's using maite as a defensive midfielder and maybe she's good there, but she could be better if she was higher up the field. And with Toril, for whatever reason, it seems to be right wing. I mean, it's because we have a lack of wing options with Cardona out. I don't think Muller is fully trusted to be to make high impact game on game. And he just figures Mike, they can do a job there because she's so versatile. 
anyway, we will talk about the performance that she had because I do agree with you. It was better than what we've seen beforehand, though how much that was down to like the type of game we saw versus her doing something different is something we'll have to try to parse and probably something we won't know until we see this again. And, you know, we probably will see this again. In terms of Levante's 11, Google had it as, I think, the same 4-4-2 diamond that we discussed beforehand when we talked about Levante. But I really saw it as more of a 4-2-3-1. I'll just list out the players and I'll see what you think. But Paraluta and goal and uh, right back Paula Tomas, Nuria Mendoza, Viola Cayigaris as the center backs, left back Husinara. So that's the back four. And then a double pivot of Sandy Toletti and Tatiana Pinto. Wide players, Alba Redondo on the right, Andrea Falcon on the left, and then Tatiana Pinto behind Natasha Andanova is how I saw it. Am I in the in the right direction here in terms of considering Levante's shape? Yeah, in the first half, it was that way with uh, Ferrer playing in behind. Like uh, it was a double pivot of uh, Toletti and Tatiana Pinto. That's right. Then Andonova. Uh, was in the number 10 and Ferrer was like interchange. They both were like, uh, Ferrer was also dropping off sometimes. So it was that, yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. And so I, I was just really interested to see was uh, our best friend Angel Villacampa going to do the same thing? It was more of a 4 2 3 1. And right off the bat, it looks like it's working with Ivana not doing her best in terms of bringing the ball out of play. Very aggressive press from Levante, which we'll have to talk about. Ivana plays a poor pass to Lucia, dispossessed, and eventually Natasha Andanova gets into the box, and apparently Teresa fouled her. I'm not one to really feel like Real Madrid is always being robbed or anything, but it was really difficult for me to see what the foul was. Like There just seemed like there was the most minor of contact that if that's not allowed, then everything's going to be a foul, but... The referee pointed to the spot. Andanova went down. I mean, clearly she felt something. And three minutes in, it's 1-0. And Alba Dondo is the one who converts from the spot. Did you see a penalty there? Honestly, no. I think it was way too soft. Uh, on the first, like, when it happened live, I could not even notice that there was any touch. But the only replay that I saw, I mean, there was that was like the... A feather of a touch, like I don't know how how you give that a penalty, but all right. I mean, she gave a penalty. Redondo scored, so we were one nil down pretty early on. At six oh three a.m., I was sitting there thinking, "Well, man, it was rough waking up for this one." Not to worry. Six minutes later, we equalized, and that was just the beginning of one of the most chaotic stretches we've seen all season from this team and it starts off with a throw-in if i'm remembering correctly from levante's side the right hand side bobs does a really good job to challenge in the air sornoza carries the ball over plays it across maite gets on the ball and she's floated inside she fakes to the left fires a shot that's deflected it falls to Esther and she ends up converting. I'm remembering that correctly, right? That sequence. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. Because there, there's a lot of goals mixed up mixed up in here. And it's easy to, to get it twisted. But that's how the first goal ended up happening. So just in a flash, it's 1-1. And I think maybe this is where we can talk about Mikey. Because our complaints 
have been twofold with Maite playing on the right wing in the past, right? One is why is she playing? That's not the best way to use her. Two is if we're going to play her there, the potential advantage of that could be she doesn't play like a winger, right? She comes inside. She's a roaming attacking midfielder. This gives us another dimension to our buildup that we normally don't have when we don't play. When we just play our, our classic wingers out there, it tends to be too wide. It tends to be too rigid. But it's almost funny how Maite has been too disciplined in following the instructions for that role and has just like sought to, to interpret her role as an actual winger, which has drastically reduced her influence. And on this play, she's floated all the way inside to the center of the pitch, right in front of the box. And you can already see that's just kind of where you want Maite, right? Because tight spaces, a little bit of quality to create a bit of separation. Yes, her shot is blocked, but it ends up leading to something good. And had she not made that move, I think the block would have been cleaner and it would have just flown back into the middle of the pitch and you wouldn't have had that chance. And I just think, and this is where I'm, I get stuck because I don't know how much of this was Maite deciding in this game or Toril saying something to where it's like, okay, Maite is going to interpret this role differently. She's going to seek to come inside, get more involved. And that's how we're going to do it. Or, and this is something we'll have to discuss after this, the game was so chaotic and so free form. It was just always going to be the case that when it devolved into this kind of mess, Maite was just going to have to react and she would find herself in positions that were more central and she would just make plays there. I am kind of leaning to the latter. It just felt like to me that the game state and the environment, the context just kind of facilitated a context where Maite would come inside like that. But I don't know. And this is why I'd say we'd probably need to see another game. What did you think about that? And what do you think about Maite's performance in general? Yeah, I mean, first of all, that involvement from Maite on the first goal was very crucial. Like exactly like you said, that is where you want Maite in that uh, space in between the lines, uh, coming inside, showing her, showing off her skills on the ball in tight spaces. And yeah, the first goal doesn't happen if, if she's not there, you know, even if the shot is bad, uh, it takes a deflection and falls for Esther, uh, as you mentioned. But as for her role, I think it was a little instruction based this game because uh, a lot of times uh, when the ball was in the middle third, she was actually uh, staying quite wide so as to pull the defender fullback towards her. And whenever uh, we managed to get play get the play into the attacking third she was uh, very uh, frequently tucking inside i mean uh, when we'll discuss in the second goal as well like uh, because it just happens after 2 minutes in the second goal as well uh, which comes uh, which olga scores for off of a cross of aslani on the far post maite is again in those central areas and i think i think uh, i don't know if i notice it correctly because I felt there was slight hand gesture from Esther when she uh, made the run in uh, to the uh, when she controlled the ball and made the run in. Uh, so I felt there was a slight hand gesture, but it was Maite who uh, caught the attention of both the centre backs on the second goal. So Olga made a completely unmarked run on the far post and met the cross by Aslani. That uh, that was a second goal just three minutes after that. So yeah, I mean I felt it was slightly instruction based. Yeah. It's true that the game wasn't, it was very chaotic. There was, uh, Levante had zero structure in the first half, at least. They, they were a mess in the midfield. Their lines were too staggered apart, I felt. 
so yeah i mean the game situation has to do something with it but it was also some instructions i felt because she was uh, operating differently when the ball was in middle third and she was operating uh, in slightly different manner when we got the ball into the uh, final third so i felt it was good and maite's overall performance it, it, i think i think the reason from uh, him to play maite in that sort of role is i feel maite he, he does feel that maite is uh, important to this team so so important that she cannot be dropped uh, but and only way he can see him to fit her is, is on the right flank uh, which isn't ideal but you need maite for a couple of reasons a because whenever the game gets frantic it's maite who can just you know who always shows for the ball even if it's out of position she will go into the midfield she will receive the ball she'll she'll slow down the pace she'll circulate possession like that is what she does in terms of escaping pressure she offers us a great outlet because her skills in the in tight spaces under pressure is is really good and she can play those quick exchanges and her body orientation when receiving is really great to escape pressure as well so these are the couple of points i feel why he is he has been insistent on somehow shoehorning maite into the lineup although it's not best but you can like see why he is doing that and today with the role slightly with the instructions and the role slightly different with her tucking more inside when the normal wingers usually stay wide we could see how much of an impact maite can have on the game even if she's not touching the ball like on the second goal she with her presence in that area she is actually uh, catching the attention of the defenders so that other players can make an unmarked run so i feel that was it was a pretty good performance from her well so i watched the second goal multiple times as you were talking because you you said a lot of interesting things there so on this one it's a throw in on on our side on the right hand side i don't know like maybe 5 10 yards from the halfway line in our half and aslani has rotated out to the right maite has come to the center and the throw in is kind of directed in maite's direction and she like battles two players and kind of like knocks the ball over um the last one and kind of sucks viola taigaris forward and that opens up the space for esther to make a run on the inside that drags everyone it drags paula tomas over from the right hand side and basically creates a 4 versus 2 situation um with i'm basically considering kaigaris out of the play if you want to consider like maite also with her then it was a 3 versus 2 situation either way terrible for levante and maite was kind of crucial receiving making something happen in in that middle area and then releasing play down the flank to aslani right because esther's run uh attracts i'm just trying to remember who it was on that side i think it was juicy nara it had to be because i think mendosa might be called up or maybe juicy nara had been called up so it was someone on the left hand side um who was attracted to s there after kayaris had stepped up to maite tomas was attracted to the center so both flanks open up aslani is able to get in behind and it's really like a pretty easy cross into the box olga slides in finishes a very good run from her and so maite with the really crucial influ- influence receiving in really tough areas on both goals and so i agree with you i i think is whether intentionally or not or degree intentionally or not this is the way you can make maite work there and even though i i wouldn't love it 
I'm less about a player has to play in their exact position that is perfect for them and more about they need to be in a general context that suits their skills. And depending on the skill set, that could theoretically be anywhere. Like Lorena, I don't really care, right? She can play left wing, striker, right wing, central attacking midfielder, even, you know, an advanced central midfielder in a midfield three. And I'm, I'm like comfortable with it, right? Because she's always going to be doing the same thing. So it doesn't matter that much to me. It's just about, you know, just adjusting a little bit where she's doing the things she does. My day isn't quite like that, but as long as she's making an influence or, or can make an influence anywhere in central areas in the half spaces, I'm fine with her playing some kind of nominal position that isn't a pure number 10, right? Because the team comes first, but that has to be incorporated, right? The problem arises is, is not the position. It's when the role does not apply to her skill set. And whatever the reason today, I think we saw the role looking more suited to what she is good at. And it made a huge impact on just quickly turning around the scoreline and putting us in the driver's seat. Not even close to being done yet with all of the, with, with the goals, because in the 16th minute, Kosovari Aslani scores again, or scores, uh, Real Madrid scores again, Kosovari Aslani scores her first. I think this is where we got to talk about Levante's defense. It's essentially just a long ball from Bob's doing her usual thing where she just plays one into the channel, just bombs it in. And I think it was Nuria Mendoza who just loses out on the duel initially. That draws Kaigaris over. Esther does really well. And again, this just drags the entire, it collapses the entire defensive line. I mean, I don't even know where Juicy Nada is on this play exactly. And Aslani's played all the way through so free, so open, and she's able to, to chip the keeper. And it was a classy finish, but just a complete collapse from Levante off of a ball in between the lines, over the top in between the lines. Center backs get sucked forward, lose out on the duels. Bang, we play a, play a runner in behind. It's that simple. Yeah, so uh, just before the third goal, there was another sequence like in just like two minutes before that where Zoranosa quickly switches to the uh, to the far side on the right-hand side. And again, uh, Jusinara was nowhere to be seen. We'll talk about, I'll get to Jusinara as well after the second, uh, when we talk about the second half performance. Uh, but Jusinara was nowhere to be seen. Aslani again in acres of space. She fires another cross to the far post. Olga this time could not meet it because the cross is slightly ahead of her. But this was a common theme. Like the flanks were completely gone for Levante. I don't know what was the plan. On the goal, Jusinara is sucked in uh, like beyond half line where Maite is. Like Maite has dropped so deep. Uh, this is what I was talking about when I mentioned that Maite, when, when we had possession in the middle third, Maite was sitting very uh, like wide and uh, deep into the uh, into the midfield. So Jusinara was, uh, I mean, Levante usually go with a player-to-player approach and that is what happened here. Jusinara was completely sucked in there. Then you were right, Mendoza fails to clear the, that long ball. Then Esther, Esther had fun. Esther, I, this was like Esther's dreamland today because she was getting on the ball. She was pulling out defenders. She was opening up spaces. And there was Aslani to make those runs in behind. Like you had that dynamism between the front two. 
to make stuff happen and Levante was just playing in our hands with well, Esther is always going to drop. Everyone knows that she is going to go ballwards. And she did that and she sucked in. In this case, it was Caligaris again. Then she, Aslani made a run through because Jusinara was nowhere to be seen. Aslani makes a run in behind. Uh, Esther plays her through and a very sublime finish from her. Great chip. Uh, so that was 3-1. And I mean, suddenly in inside seven minutes, Within seven minutes, Real Madrid are two goals up after being one goal down inside three minutes. So, I mean, that was, it was, it was terrible. Like, even after that, uh, the complete first half, Levante, I don't know what they were doing defensively. I think a part of that could be blamed on the personnel choice because it is a cup competition. Obviously, they are going to rotate and they went with a double pivot of Tatiana Pinto and Toletti, who Okay, Toletti is Toletti can play in a double pivot, but she has to be coupled with somebody who takes more defensive responsibilities because Toletti will win the ball and Toletti will rush forward to provide support with the ball. But the other player has to stay stay there and provide some sort of uh, support to the defensive line. Tatiana Pinto isn't that player for you. Like if if you wanted to do that, you you had like Lere Banios in 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 your ranks like. In the second half, when, when the subs were made, as we will talk about that in detail, but Lere Banios' Lere introduction changed uh, the dynamics a lot. And also Sylvia Loris, as, as I will talk about more. But that is the thing. The personal selection was off for me because you don't put Tatiana Pinto in the double pivot alongside uh, somebody like Toletti. Like if, if, if there was Irene Guerrero, I would put, okay, Tatiana Pinto and Irene Guerrero double pivot. All right, it's not the best, but at least you have the right profiles to suit what the players like to do mostly. But this was, uh, I don't know, like this wasn't it for me. It was poor personal choice. And due to that, uh, a lot of times uh, Esther found, whenever Esther was dropping, she found a lot of space between the midfield and the defensive line as well. So the lines were staggered as well because Tatiana Pinto would also get sucked in towards the ball on the, on the right-hand side, on Maite's side. And Toletti, Toletti is dynamic player. Toletti will run up and down. Toletti will provide support wherever necessary. So, like, for Toletti to not be always the one providing that screening presence, sort of, it, it's understandable. But the other player has to take the responsibility then. So, it was a complete mess of tactical instructions, as is usually the case with uh, Villa Campas team in terms of defense. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't surprising, but it was disappointing. Yeah, Irene Guerrero obviously injured from the time with the national team. In that sense, I can understand, okay, his his main double pivot is gone, but I agree with you, Lere Barnios was right there. And um, I'm interested in what you have to say about the change, change dynamics uh, of all of that. But in terms of Levante's defense, we're talking about an, an almost like insane player-to-player approach. So dogmatic, like completely like zero flexibility to adjust to what's in front of you as a team. There are like plenty of player to player variations of pressing. And a lot of them like are mostly consist of that, but generally with some kind of zonal component or players on the far side, will have to split the difference or, or take up more, you know, considered positions because it, it, it makes less and less sense to be player-oriented the farther away you are from the ball. 
right? Because what ultimately matters is protecting space, right? And if a player is not near a dangerous space, they're not that relevant, right? And so what we see on this play is the ball is on the left-hand side for Real Madrid. There's plenty of time for Juicinata to react to that. And by the time the ball is played inside, Juicy Nada is just so connected from the rest of the back line, which is all shuttled over to the right-hand side because their right-hand side, because that's where the ball is. And Juicy Nada is all the way over where Maite is. Maite is not relevant in that situation, right? You need to be ball-oriented, at least in my opinion, when you're pressing like this disaggressively, which means you almost only consider one half of the pitch. This is just like ripping straight from like the Ralph Ragnick school of pressing, right? But I think a fundamentally, whether however extreme you want to take it, you need to be oriented to the ball side, right? So Juicy Nada needs to be way over towards the halfway, the, the, the vertical halfway line so that she can protect that space. So when, in, when inevitably the center backs have to come forward and duel and they lose out as sometimes happens in 50-50 chaos, Juicy Nara can protect the run in behind to Aslani and they would still be in a bad situation, but it probably would not end up being a completely free one versus one and like the highest XG chance of the game, right? I, I mean, it's just ridiculous defensive structure. Like I'm, I'm trying not to be dramatic here, but it's one of the stupidest defensive sequences I've ever seen because if all it takes is losing one 50-50 duel in midfield, for your entire structure to be open, something is seriously wrong. And I just generally think Levante's approach was kind of insane on the day. Like the extent to which it was just follow your player literally wherever they are, and that's and that's how it's going to be. And when it's that intense and that frenetic, you will get opportunities going the other way. And Levante did end up having chances. Like after this, they probably could have scored a second, you could argue, or maybe... You know, if they had been more clinical than usual, they could have got a second, but they did have chances, right? But it completely left them exposed defensively. And it essentially just took away a result that they were lucky to be in with the penalty. I mean, you you take that and you've got to be able to like sit on that and hold that lead against a side like Real Madrid. And they just give it away in instance because there's no cohesion with that back line because they're all attracted to their own players and not at all in relation with each other. And yeah, I think personal choice would have affected that, a lack of shielding presence, as you mentioned. But ultimately, it's just, there are fundamental like, errors here in terms of like at least how I view it, how you coach <laughs> defensive structure. And I'm just talking about from a very high level, just the stuff that we can see from our seats. I'm not even going deeper because you know I think that's probably where I can't go. And yeah, I, look, this is Via Campa, I guess, accepts this, right? He wants an extremely intense, you know, vertical contest. Everything is crazy, duels all over the place, but it's going to kill you in games like this, man. And it, and it it finished off the tie within 16 minutes for Levante here. And uh, yeah, I, that there's my rant out of the way. I don't know if you want to say anything more about the defensive structure um, or we can move on to talk about the rest of the half, which was eventful, but not as eventful as the first 16 minutes. Yeah, see, you're getting worked up about Villacampa's tactics as well. See, this is the reason I don't like talking about his tactics because a lot of times there are just the basic fundamentals are missing, which is really annoying. I feel because, uh, as you mentioned on the third goal, there is no cover. Like, why, why are the centre-backs stepping up so high? Just, there was 
there was a sequence where Caligari is followed Esther up till the midfield lines, like just near our box. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like leave leave her after she just enters her own half because there are no opportunities on transition. And on the third goal, like Maite, Maite isn't a threat. <laughs> transition, as you say, you have to be a little ball oriented. When the ball is all on the left hand side, you have to like uh, be narrow and just push towards the like try to reduce the uh, pitch size and use and just suffocate your opponent and keep your opponent try to keep your opponent on that side of the pitch like i don't know like it was it was pretty pretty mad and like you say they like to pay play the game on, on, in this frantic pace usually they find great opportunities on the transition and usually uh, like i said the, the personal choice in this case also uh, the front two uh, or the front two and number 10 and the striker in this case they are usually players who run the channel really well so you always have that threat and they are constantly pushing the defensive line behind creating space for somebody to you know uh, usually the number 10 to receive and then spray out passes for uh, the runs in the channels but in this case the front two uh, wasn't there like the front two was basically Ferrer and Andonova both don't run the channels really well Redondo was uh, shifted to the wings on, on the right hand side uh, Falcon was operating on the left wing so you need Redondo to run the channels when yeah that's the other thing why is Redondo on the right wing yeah I mean no clue I don't know like that is what I'm saying there were better options on the bench and those better options came on and actually made a difference in the second half so I don't know what this it was a very poor, very poor personal choice in terms of the eleven, which clearly don't favor the way you want to play the game. Uh, so I don't know, like it was it was pretty stupid. But yeah, they did have chances. It it would be unfair to say that they didn't have random moments uh, where where uh, Esther just plays a sloppy pass and uh, Falcon uh, anticipates it and just intercepts the ball and uh, she is in behind. But uh, nothing comes of it. Misa makes a good save. Then there's a heart and mouth moment from Misa, which is usually the case in most of the games. She at least gives us one of those moments, a crazy moment. Like uh, she is pressed by Ferrer, I, if I remember correctly, and she just completely fails to clear the ball in time. And it it was really like that could have been an, another goal, and it would have been down to just. A simple mistake because Teresa plays the ball back to her and she has time, but she takes her sweet time and Ferrer manages to close her really well uh, there and she doesn't clear uh, soon. So that was another thing. So, so these were, I think, these were the only like two major chances they managed to have, have shots, but like, yeah, Misa saved them once, paused one, and you know, we were saved out of danger uh, in that one, but. Yeah, it all came down to how poorly uh, Levante were structured defensively, so which which re- also resulted in them not having as much uh, you know threat going forward because the players were all over the place. Like uh, Redondo on the on the right did manage to create some opportunities. The opportunities that came later in the first half were all because Redondo was able to take on players cut in inside and then Thomas was making some supporting run. So she was playing that too and crosses, but the crosses weren't that great either. And Falcon on the left, wide left, didn't help. Like Ferrer, Ferrer isn't your like striker that is going to make 
runs in behind like she is the one that likes to link play and play in that number 10 or some sort of role where she she can play those short passes she is not the one to run channels the last time we faced levante they had two really good players who could run channels like redondo and geo uh, were the front two and that is what you need like that is what you need when you are trying to play these uh, this sort of frantic game you need players who can pin the backline and who can make those run in behinds and drag players for either your number 10 or uh, your supporting midfielder to make a run into or, or some sort of thing um, i don't know like it was a poor personal choice overall like i've mentioned before but yeah i mean they didn't manage to have some opportunities we managed to save them so yeah in terms of redondo it's not that she like cannot play on the right wing i thought she was actually quite good in I forgot to mention on the very first goal, Levante's goal, in the lead up to like the part where Ivana ends up giving the ball away, is like Levante had to get into that area of the pitch first. And it starts with Redondo taking a player on deep in her own half, the right hand side, carrying the ball, playing it over. So I think she played quite, quite well. It's just that in terms of the profile of the team, like they, they clearly needed her elsewhere. But I mean, she's a class player. I think both you and I agree she, she's one of the, the more underrated players in Primera Bertola. I've liked her for a while. I mean, I, I paid more attention to Levante last season because of Maria Pri. And then I was like, okay, we're going to sign Esther. Let's pay more attention to them. And like one of the players that just always stood out to me was, was her obviously in addition to someone like Zornoza. So whatever the case, I thought she was good regardless. It's just, I, I don't think she was using the optimal position. Um, okay. Let's transition to the second half. Um, I'll just give more thoughts on, on some of some of the player performances, because I think you're mainly the guy for the second half. But just adding on to what you said about Esther, I thought she was fantastic. I thought this is the exact type of environment for her where, okay, if it's going to be chaotic, if there's going to be tons of 50-50 duels, if there's going to be center back stepping all the way up, she's the perfect player with her strength, intensity, aggressiveness to hold the ball up, turn her mark. And then with all of that space in front of her, there's not really going to be a problem with releasing the pass because it's so obvious she's going to make it quickly. And she turns out to be a massively valuable player in these types of contexts. And I thought she was just fantastic on the day. And uh, she, her, her and Aslani's chemistry for this particular type of match was, was really good. I thought they played off each other well. And I do think they're developing some kind of understanding in terms of like, it looks different each game. One, one player tends to drop off more and, and then it'll swap in the other, but I think they're developing something here that I actually quite like and, and it's workable. And I think you saw it today. Other player I want to mention is Olga. I thought Olga was pretty good. And I think she's another that kind of thrives in this type of environment because low key, she's like extremely aggressive, um, you know, from the way she goes into challenges to how she wants to take players on. And there were moments where she went a little bit too far, especially when she was cutting inside. It doesn't really serve her body shape and her one-footedness she lost the ball a couple times but overall thought she was great excellent ground coverage gave us what she needed and she's just been a different player for me since that first game versus Barcelona in the Champions League I mean I can't even remember I mean she's like three goals or something since then I she just something clicked for her it's like she needed that type of environment that type of intensity to remind her of the type of player she was and She's having a really positive end to the season. I'm quite pleased with her performances. I mean, you can comment on that. You can talk about other player performances. You can take it to the second half, however you want to do it. Yeah, I mean, 
uh, <clears throat> I mentioned before as well, like Esther was just having fun out there in the first half. Like she was, like her hold-up play was on display because like she she was dragging the defender, the center backs all the way to midfield, and then she was she was in she was in her playmaking best, like like the way she probably imagines herself to be able to do that sort of playmaking. She was doing all of that. She was like she was making those slip passes really well like perfect timing on most of the releases as well so yeah i mean it was it was she was just having fun she was toying with defenders pulling them out holding play on multiple players drawing fouls like it was really good and yeah for olga like recently she has been on one like scoring crucial goals scoring in big moments like she she is the player that we have turned to uh in in those pressure situation and she has delivered like even in in the last game or uh, other game before that, where she scored the winner and the late winner, like she she has been uh, on one uh, recently, and it and I'm really pleased. Like I I have been rooting for her and uh, calling her all sorts of things. <laughs> like Olga is the anagram of goal. I'm gonna say it again. She when she's played rightly in in those moments, she will produce goals, and she has produced some really important goals for us. Given the scenario we have in the league. So yeah, I, it was pretty good. I think we should then move on to the second half because there wasn't much that happened uh, in the first half. That was it. In the second half, uh, as soon as the half began, Levante quickly uh, had a chance. Redondo got the shot off quickly. There was a cross from Falcon on the left. The, there was a slight tweak as soon as they came out. Like Toletti was now closely marking Aslani. Like she wasn't letting her go. Again, a man-marking approach, but this was actually, this made sense because Aslani and Esther were constantly, you know, uh, they were dynamic enough exchanging positions. So, Toletti was now closely marking Aslani. So, Aslani had to, like, toil for you know, getting those touches because Toletti is really good in 1v1 duels as well. So, she was uh, really just keeping her out of the game or cutting the passing lane to her a lot of times. Things really, uh, oh, oh, there was one moment that we have to mention, like uh, in the 49th minute, there was like a long ball from the back. And this is where I want to talk about Josinara. Like Josinara had a terrible game. Oh, uh, I remember no, this. Go, on, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, Josinara just, she was, she was out of position. She judged the ball completely wrongly and a long ball is received by Maite making a run in behind. She chests the ball down and just carries the ball forward to some distance. Like Jusinara is standing there. She could see that there, there is no way they are finding Maite with a low low pass. They have to go over the top. And she was just standing there when, even when the uh, long ball was coming in. And she just completely misjudges it. I don't know how. Like she doesn't jump. She completely misjudges it. The ball is behind Maite has made the run. She just sit down and controls it and just carries it forward. Like I don't know. Like it was it was a bad day for Jusinara. Like she even later and in the first half as well, we saw she left a lot of space uh, for Real Madrid to attack, and she was she was pretty poor overall as well. I feel. Yeah, when I saw Maite played over the top from a goalkeeper, I just started laughing. Like I actually just started laughing. I think. Did I send you a message about that? I definitely tweeted about it. I, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous, man. Like when that happens, you know there's just something wrong. Anyway, continue. Yeah, so that was pretty hilarious moment to 
to be fair but yeah after that subs were made and this is where the game like changes and levante start to have some sort of uh, more threat going forwards and now their structure looks more like better much better compared to what we saw in the first half so tatiana pinto goes off andrea falcon goes off and ferrer goes off and in comes loris uh, leire banios and fiamma now fiam now let's talk about the dynamics starting from up front so fiamma and redondo now playing as the uh, as the front two levante have shifted back to their 442 diamond with andonova playing as the number 10 now fiamma and redondo fiamma is actually a forward she can run channels really well and she has the pace as well so now you have redondo and fiamma who both can run the channels and have pace to uh, you know cause problems a lot so this was changed and what changed again was now loris was sitting as the deepest midfielder banios was playing as the left sided and toletti was playing on the right hand side what this what this did was now loris was providing the good screening presence leire banios is the player that should have started the game for me uh, alongside toletti if if you were going to do that i say this because as soon as leire banios came on she cut she she was really smart in cutting off transition opportunities either by committing a foul or just by being presence uh, being just present in the right areas and just providing support wherever it's necessary you need that sort of dynamism and uh, silvia loris also like she's quick she she did a really good job in my opinion she had a really good game after coming on she cut off the transition opportunities on athenia on a couple of occasion and matching her for speed as well so she displayed great recovery speed she provided good uh, screening presence and this is where the game changes for levante because now andonova can be the one uh, playing in that number 10 role and spraying passes in behind for the runs of fiamma and redondo fiamma can alone cause some problems uh, with her pace and her dribbling redondo uh, now redondo had moved to the left hand side she was the left left forward who can uh, again like take on players she could beat players for pace she could beat players for skills or earn fouls in dangerous areas so now you have the perfect system that you need because uh then you also have when you have a full backs like paula thomas and jusinara who like to push up and provide you with the width and crosses and you can play narrow like you don't need uh players like redondo and stuff like that out wide you have your full backs who can provide you uh, that width so this was where the game changes and immediately like we could see fiamma was making those run in behind in the 63rd minute she made a great uh, run in behind that caused some problems then in the 65th minute we clearly saw this like i think it was toletti uh, toletti uh, recovered the ball in the midfield and here we see redondo making the run in behind uh, lucy between the space uh, in the channel between lucia and uh, ivana she makes a great run in behind toletti picks her up she goes to the byline plays a thunderous ball across and savava manages to clear it on the far post i think it was fiamma or andonova were there the, on the far post so the ball was going was going to be a tap in if that was not that was not intercepted and cleared so yeah i mean we clearly saw the impact of these changes and i think i think they should have gone with this i don't know like i, I understand that you want to rotate but you also have to give yourself the best chance because levante are out of the league now 
and last season they made the qualification stages of uh, the Champions League. So I think the ambition and they were also the finalists in the Copa de la Reina, if I'm not wrong. So, you know, they could have set themselves up better. Just go with your 4-4-2 if, if that is working for you. You have the players of that sort to play even with the injuries to uh, Irene, uh, Irene Guerrero. It was just, this is what made the earlier choices in the first half even more absurd. So I felt those changes were quite good. Uh, but I think that is what makes the first half choices even weirder for me. I think this is where Real Madrid's approach also needs to change a little bit. Because up until the 55th minute, until these changes that you're talking about, Real Madrid are pretty happy with this dynamic. I mean, they're conceding some chances on the other end, but most of the time they don't really have to do anything intricate and build up. They're just sending it forward into the, into the strikers, into the wide players, and playing at a quick pace with Olga high and wide. I mean, it's the perfect type of environment for her. Like, Maite is interpreting her role well and making things happen. And this is when Real Madrid offensively is at their best, right? And I think it becomes tough when Levante do things to start shutting that down. And it becomes less easy for us to just play a ball over the top into Esther and wow, acres of space. All that with some personnel selection. And in that case, when that doesn't work, what happens is that becomes a turnover and then that's offense the other way and suddenly we're suffering. And you started to see a bit more of that after the changes. I also think probably some of it was a decline in physical level from our standpoint. Because, I mean, it was really hard work for Esther Aslani to battle the way they were battling. And it's in those moments where we need an alternative, right? And this is something that has just been a consistent area for improvement since the very beginning with Real Madrid is, can we control a game, right? And it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult in this scenario where Levante are pressing the way where they are, where the intensity is going the way they are. And to a certain extent, that would just determine... The, the pace the game is played at, right? When people are just rushing at you, you need to think quickly, you need to move quickly, you need to pass quickly. But our ability to do that in a semi-controlled manner, on the ground, work the short passes, be able to tire the movement, spaces, Yash, in terms of Leon versus um, PSG, being able to really bend the tempo of the game to your will, Real Madrid... I mean, funnily enough, the one time I've seen us do it was versus Barca on the first leg. Almost every other time, we tend to play at the pace of the opposition. Like they can set the tempo, and because we're a team that is honestly like we have players that like that, we've never really had a type of possession framework that really emphasizes controlling the tempo in in more even contests. We just play into it, and in moments like this, some kind of solutions to be able to just fire some quick passes back and forth, tire up the pressing actions, open up some space, then move forward. It's, it's much easier said than done. It's not easy, but I think we have the quality and I think that's what we need to aspire to if we want to reach that elite level. Like I want to see us building towards that. It would really help us in moments like these because I think we really lost control of proceedings after the substitutions, after we weren't able to kind of maintain the same pace or thrive in the same pace. And it wasn't quite the same game after that. And we didn't necessarily have answers. We just had the lead and we were solid enough defensively and we were able to kind of see it out. I think though, like the overall pace of the game really started to decline, you know, after the like 75th, 80th minute. I think at that point, the bump had started to tire out. And there were moments 
at the end of that, but I think relative to the rest of the game, it was a more comfortable conclusion for Real Madrid. So 70th minute, Peril starts to make the changes. Naikari Garcia comes on first comes on for Maite and uh, Claudio Florentino comes on for Esther. It may, may have been one for the other. Either way, uh, Teresa goes and plays on the right wing after the second set of substitution. And uh, Claudia plays in midfield and Muller actually plays up top. I did not expect it to work out that way. I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen with Claudia. Maybe a back three. Maybe she, she creates a midfield three. I thought Muller was just going to go wide. But for the tiniest amount of time, we got to see Tede play out wide. I think Real just kind of has a fetish for that. It'll be real cool if we see just we start a game with Teddy out there. I, I wonder how people would react to that. I don't know how much I have to say about the subs. And maybe this is harsh because you did mention the Pompe improving, but I do it just didn't feel like Naikari was as suited for this type of environment. One that was so physical, right? And so dependent on you know being able to receive back to goal, holding off players, turning. I mean, Naikari has quality and link up, but to me it's more about. When she does it, she picks her moment well. She doesn't strike me as an Esther-type player who just will battle off, you know, player after player and, you know, do things single-handedly to move you up the field, even if it could be a little inefficient at times. But, you know, I, I thought she was fine. It's just that she didn't pop like Esther did. Although, again, granted, the context were, were pretty different at that point in time. I don't know if you have anything to say about that, anything you said about, anything you have to say about what I said about Real Madrid needing to control the tempo more. Um, we're kind of at the end here, so you can just throw in any kind of remaining thoughts you have. Yeah, so I agree with uh, the point that you mentioned about Real Madrid uh, trying to control the games more. Uh, that is what I found weird about the subs in uh, in hindsight then, because we were losing control up until the 70th point, 70th minute, because now they were playing now they had actual threat on transitions now they were making good run they had players who could make run in behind and we we bring on Athenea and Nahikari who who also play into that same sort of fold with us trying to play on transition because uh, when Athenea came on her only contributions was a couple of good transition moments so we just played into their hands by saying okay we'll play on transitions as well which I found like we could have done better. Uh, I don't know like how we could have done better because uh, we didn't really have midfield options for that, but we could have switched the shape at least and just like brought Maite inside and uh, formed the midfield three or something. I don't know, but that is something I felt like we could have done, managed the game a little better because <laughs> although like there weren't many clear chances, there were occasions where like, Piyama again played a good cutback for Andonova in, in the 78th minute, I think. He makes a good run in the far post, again making a run inside the channels he's played in and plays a cutback for Andonova. Uh, team shot again, uh, Misa saves it. Then uh, Redondo was causing all sorts of problems in 1v1 situation for Lucia uh, on the on the left hand, on our right, their left hand side. So, yeah, I mean, we just played into their hands a little bit. And although the pace declined with as the game went on, but I felt like second half Levante were the more threatening side, although it didn't result in anything. Uh, and then we, uh, as you mentioned, the changes already, then we bring on uh, Fiorentino and Moller. So, yeah, about, about Tere playing on the right-hand side, I, I wonder why, why don't we sometimes try like Zornos out there? 
Zoronosa is left footed. We need somebody whenever we are playing uh, a midfielder on the right. We want them to usually like drift inside because we have usually we have a bombing right back. Like Kenty loves to provide the overlap. Lucia too provides good support on the overlap. Zoronosa can provide good crosses cutting inside on her left from that. I don't know, like if 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 we want to play slightly cross heavy, we could also try like Zoranos on the on the right. But I don't know, like when we have actual winger in in the side, like Atene, Aolga, when Cardona is fit, Cardona or even Moller, I I would rather have Moller starting there. But I don't know what Toil thinks. So yeah, but yeah. When you have wingers like that, you should at least start them. So yeah, I mean, not much happened. I think in the in the dying minutes, Levante again manages to have a uh, have a shot. With uh, this is where also I would like to highlight that what difference Banyos made after coming on because her passing game is also good. Like it was not like she was just uh, helping neutralize some transition opportunities by being in the right places. Her passing game is really good. She helped find those balls. She was able to switch play quickly to the far side. And that is what made their attack click. Like in the dying minute, uh, she quickly switches to to the right hand side. Thomas has made an overlapping run, like she usually provides support on the wide areas. She puts a cross in, and Fiyama gets a good shot. Uh, she has made another good run into the channel. Uh, this is another transition opportunity, by the way. So Fiyama has made another good run between the fullback uh, Savava, who was. Uh, Savava who gets dragged towards Thomas after the pass is played, then Fiyama makes the run, plays unmarked, plays the first time shot, doesn't go well. But yeah, see, these were the opportunities and our subs didn't help us in changing that. We completely played into their hand. On other day, if they are clinical enough, maybe this ends up like 5-3 for them because in the first half as well, we cannot forget they had two chances. Although their overall game plan was pretty poor, the first 45 minutes were pretty poor, but I think the changes and the personnel that they brought on actually helped them play the way they wanted to play, and we just played into their hands a little bit. But yeah, I mean, we are in the semifinals. We won the game comfortably. The game state also affected some of the decisions, I understand. But yeah, I would like us to better control games and manage the games better when we are ahead. Yeah, just to the Zornoza point, I think it's twofold. One is I think Toril considers Zornoza to be the most important central midfielder in the side. And if someone is starting in the center of the pitch, like it has to be Zornoza. I think like that's the automatic name. And then everyone just fills in around her. And then two is I think, this is just pure speculation, but I think not playing Zornoza out there, if it's not because of that, could be down to, I just think like sheer mobility, right? I mean, like, Tere Maite just covered ground a lot better than she does. And then also defensively, I don't know if Zornoza is tracking the fullback. <laughs> I, like, I just don't know if she's making those long-busting runs down that side. In some of her best defensive efforts this season, like versus Barca in the first leg, I mean, she was doing everything. Like She was tracking everything. But in the aggregate, I think you've talked about this before, one of her weaker aspects of her defensively is not tracking the runs behind her like she, i think she's actually pretty solid you know pressing wise you know she's good positionally but once the play goes behind her she can fall asleep a little bit and maite tere just have another level i think of commitment and alertness to that side of it i think also part of it is Ronosa is just older than them and has to conserve physically 
So yeah, I, I just don't, if we see that, I'll hold my hands up and be like, man, Kirill is willing to try anything. Um, but so far, he's he's been like pretty like it's four four two three one four four two the entire way. And I'm just gonna make slight adjustments on the wings. And like he hasn't necessarily experimented too much otherwise. I think that's pretty much about it. The other opponents we will have in the semifinals, because all the rest of the games have been played, will be one of Oh, well, all of the opponents, UDG, Tenerife, Granadilla, Barcelona, or Sporting Huelva, off the top of your head, who would you want? Let's just assume you don't want Barca. Who do you want out of Granadilla or Sporting Huelva? I don't know. Like Sporting Huelva getting a, getting a win over them after they, after they beat us in the league would be pretty sweet to reach the finals. But I hope, like, I just hope we avoid Barcelona because. I feel like against the other two, I would give us a chance. Like we will definitely stand a chance uh, going against them. And I really want us to play a final to be able to reach a final. So like even though we don't, we won't win the trophy probably. But like just playing in the final, it would be a good start to be uh, to be there in the second season. Is it weird if I say I want Granadilla over Sporting Huelva? Like I don't think this is like a logical. Sporting Huelva, I yeah, I mean, think... no, it's it's just I don't know. Like Sporting Huelva are, are a frustrating side. I understand, but just getting one of uh, possibility of getting a you know getting the better of them after <laughs> losing in yeah, the yeah no no I mean that's just completely sweet. fair. It's not like my my logic will be more rational here because like it's just that Sporting Huelva it's just they're so frustrating. I'm tired of Mayra Ramirez like just absolutely like bullying the shit out of our defense. Like, it just seems like she like turns into like i don't know like who just like this insane like physical you know technical beast who could just carry the ball 90 yards shrug off every challenge and then blast a shot into the top corner or find a cross it's like we we can't really break them down and we can't contain them in transition and it just feels like one of those matchups that are bad for us even though like on paper like there's really no contest talent wise and versus Granadilla, who are much higher up on the table, they're directly fighting for Champions League spots. Like, they're just a better team. But I don't know. Like, I think out of the current top five, I think Granadilla are clearly the weakest. Just looking at their goal difference, which is a goal difference of two, I do think they're probably, like, overperforming a tad this season, which, not taking anything away from them, I think they've done a fantastic job to be where they are. But... You know, you look at Levante with a goal difference of 13, you know, Athletic Club, a goal difference of negative two. Like, I'm not necessarily sure, like, the table reflects that they are on the tier of Real Madrid, Atleti, Real Sociedad, and then obviously no one's on the tier of Barca. Um, and when we played them last, like, it wasn't, I mean, we, we were, like, I think pretty comfortably the superior team, and they do come to play a little bit more. So I don't know. I, I mean, probably, like, the actual answer is, you know, stop being stupid, like, pick Sporting Quelva. But I don't, I just feel like I would rather have Granadilla in this one. Regardless, I don't know, like, do we actually want to lose to Barcelona in a, in a cup final? I don't know. But, yeah, I guess we'll end it here because I'm just all over the place. Um, but, yeah, it's good. We progressed into the semifinals. And uh, we just... We just continue and see what we can make of this. I don't know exactly when the draw will be held. 
um, for the semis and where exactly all of that will be scheduled. But in terms of the league games, we face Madrid CFF May 1st. And I'm just looking now, it's a 5 Eastern Standard Time. Yash doesn't have a problem with this. But then we play Valencia May 8th. And then we play Villarreal, which is our last league game, May 15th. And that's it. We, win, we need to win these three games. And they'll hopefully Atleti slip up versus Barca Granadilla and slip up and we qualify for the Champions League. That's it, right, Yash? Any last words? No, I think we covered about everything. And yeah, let's see how the remaining league games go. It's certainly not going to be a boring run into the end of the season. All right, guys. Thanks for listening as always. And uh, a la Madrid. A la Madrid. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.